This is really about being free to create what you want your life to look like. We each are our own hero. And how do we take the challenges that come our way and see those as the birth process of us becoming heroic? Can you meet that judgment that ultimately will surface with neutrality? This is the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wall Street Coach Podcast. Lucas and I are very fortunate today to have Jason Caldwell. Jason was recently on the Ritual Podcast. I listened to this amazing conversation about this man, and I instantly read everywhere I could online to try to invite him to come to this podcast. So welcome, Jason, to coming on the Wall Street Coach Podcast. Thank you for having me, Kim. Appreciate it. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Who is Jason, everybody? Well, if, if you don't know who he is, you have to find out very quickly. Uh, not only is he the author of a book called Navigating the Impossible, but he's also a three world record holder. Um, he's the founder of Latitude 35. It's a leadership training firm that operates around the world. Uh, and he's an adventure racer. And his stories and his uh, fortitude is really quite impressive. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I think uh, being a trader is really hard. And I think you have to learn how to dig deep within yourself uh, and discover strength you didn't even know you had. And I feel Jason and his journey uh, is going to inspire you in ways that perhaps uh, you have never been inspired before. And Jason also has a documentary that's gonna feature uh, one of his world records, uh, but that it probably be out in the next few months. Right now it's titled Chasing. So keep an eye out for that. So Jason, welcome to the podcast. And just thank you for saying yes to little old me because I'm not as big as Rich Roll. That's for no, damn sure. No, so. that, doesn't, that doesn't matter. I, I appreciate the, the kind words that you said and the enthusiasm um, for that for that interview and always looking forward to having good conversations with great people so here we are <laughs> here we are here we are well the end of your most recent race ended in hawaii and i paddle i'm a part of Kauai high canoe club and you know a couple of things in your book speak about you know shut up and row and of course in paddling it's called shut up and paddle <laughs> so i could i could relate to just how much you know, I'm, I've never been a sporty girl. I was like, you know, tennis team, swimming team in high school, uh, never a jog. But when I came to Hawaii now over eight years ago and experienced paddling for the first time, I fell madly in love with it. And the coach that I have on, you know, Uncle Manny Vincent, he has just taught me in ways I could have never imagined that it's never been my physical strength. It's been my mental strength. And I think because of what I've personally gone through in these eight years, seeing what I'm capable of physically, and then hearing about your story, that's what I related to. I was like, that is, I, I could understand how you were able to do it because you spoke to how it was this mental game. So maybe just talk about, did you always have that wisdom? Did you grow up with that kind of a mindset? Yeah, I mean, first of all, just to take a step back, I mean, it's absolutely true that all all of my achievements have been based on the the, the mental and emotional components associated with them. I mean, yes, you do have to be physically fit and athletic, but it's such a small percentage, and that's not the difference between you know success and failure. It's it's really this 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 idea of creating um emotional connections with the people that you're you're training with with the people that you're on the boat with so to you know just to speak to that um that is a big part and all the things that we'll be talking about today i can tell you without even knowing what questions you're going to throw at me are going to be speaking to that i mean we're not going to yeah. be talking about how many push-ups i could do or how fast my 2k time is on the rowing machine um so that's that's great um to answer your your question no, I mean, I wish that I could say that I was born with this knowledge and or that it was it was taught to me at an early age, but I think this was a long, slow, organic kind of journey of self-actualization that I'm still on, by the way, which is yeah. that this idea of 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 being able to um to kind of shed this individual ego for a collective ego. And mm -hmm. rowing like paddling um is is this 
amazing team sport. Um, you can't you can paddle solo, you can row in a single. Um, but what I choose to do is be on, on team sports and um, to be able to leverage that kind of human emotion um, that is all of us together trying to do something, uh, something common is really special and something that has not only um, I, is not only that I'm still learning, but it's fascinating me. So I've become a student of teams and of leadership. So. Mm. Yeah, there's a great, uh, there's so many great quotes and kind of like jewels in your book. And one of them is that you say, most people say that life is too short, but it's inaccurate. It's actually too long. Would you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's something that I've thought about a lot over the last couple of years and something that I've more and more started to live my life by is that we, we do hear this kind of cliche that life is short. Life's too short. I actually don't know if life is short or long. I guess it would really depend on what you compare it to. Uh, maybe maybe, maybe it's, it's short in some ways and long in others. But what I am saying in that is that I believe that most of us, to include myself at times, don't actually believe that life is short. We actually believe that life is long and we believe that it's, it's infinite and that we always have more time. We have another chance to do these things and we put things off because of this deep-seated belief that life is actually long. It sounds nice to say that life is short, but if we were all to yeah. truly believe that, I think we'd be doing more of the things that we want to do, you know? And this isn't just about, you know, breaking world records. This is about learning to play the piano or a second language or, or asking somebody out that you've been wanting to do yeah. for a while or something like that. Yeah. These are, you know, reconcile with an old friend or family member. These are things we put off, um, <clears throat> Maybe not because we're scared, but maybe because we think that we've got more time. And so a lot of kind of my initial, and we're starting from the beginning of things that I do, maybe my initial uh, reason for getting off the chair, getting off the couch and going and starting to pursue these audacious goals is because I am afraid that, quite frankly, I'm, I'm, this might be my last chance. And I think that if we, if we think that way, not that we just say it, but we, we think it, if we believe it, if we, if we train it like a muscle, then we will start to do things and we'll act on our opportunities instead of just kind of letting them sit. And that's kind of what I mean. It's a simple thought, but it's a really difficult thing to actually believe in, I think. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. Tell, tell our listeners what the last race was, your most recent audacious goal. That sure. you came into Hawaii winning. Yeah, so uh, I'm a I'm a rower. I rode in college. I was I was I rode on elite training team on the East Coast after college. Um, so I had rowing and my background and pedigree. Um, shortly after uh, retiring from the elite team, I got into some of the more endurance type or adventure type rowing. And so um, what Kim's referring to is I've rowed the Atlantic Ocean twice. Um, the second time breaking a world record is the fastest team to ever row across the Atlantic Ocean, 3,000 miles. But most recently this year, about six months ago, um, we rode, uh, my team and I rode the Pacific Ocean from San Francisco to Hawaii in the Great Pacific Race, um, having uh, not only won that race, but broke the world record by nine days, actually. So it's quite a lot. And it's something that we Crazy. didn't even think we thought possible at the time. Um, but looking forward to digging into um, both the why and the how of those endeavors. So. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, did you, when you set these goals for yourself, do you set them with the tangibility of beating a world record or beating it by nine days? Where does this, what's your mindset going into them in the first place? Yeah, I think there's two things there. Um, the first part is this idea that, yeah, I mean, I, for me personally, I go off with these not to just simply make the crossing to successfully, you know, do it no matter how long it takes. I want to win the race and I want to break a world record. Those things are, are important to me. Um, they're not important to everybody. And I think that's one of the, one of the great lessons I've learned over the years, putting these teams together is that we've got to be clearly defined and agree upon a common goal. And this is something that, my first Atlantic crossing, a crossing that we not only didn't break a world record, but didn't even win the race, we were not aligned on. And so since then, every team that I put together, we spend months, I would say, months 
putting together a common goal or mission statement, essentially. And this seems pretty straightforward and, and simple. And again, just kind of like this idea of life is, is short or life is long. It's, it's easy to put off and not to give it its weight and relevance. Um, mm. So I can assume that everybody else in my boat wants to break a world record, but that assumption is very, very dangerous. And I learned that lesson the hard way on my first crossing. Now what we do is we all come together and we all present what we want out of this role whether it's to win the race, break a world record, to become closer friends than when we left, whatever it is, you put it together in a pretty concise two or three sentences and we all present it to each other. And from that moment on, we work hard to find one common goal or mm -hmm. mission statement followed by the priorities that we will set to help achieve that. And it's very difficult, and this is a four person race, so it's me and three teammates. It's very difficult to actually have four men with individual egos and, and things that they want to get accomplished in their lives who are dedicating months, if not years, to this endeavor. And then, of course, a dangerous crossing to agree and make sure. And so there's concession and there's argument in a good way, productive arguing. Yeah. And at times, it would get heated. And I love that. You know, I love that it would yeah. get heated because in yeah. the end, we had three sentences that said, and I'm paraphrasing the mission statement for this Hawaii race, but that we wanted to go as fast as we could for as long as we could so that when we got to Waikiki Harbor, we got off that boat knowing that we had given everything we had mm -hmm. um, to, to that row. And then we put some, object, um, some objectives um, and priorities associated with that. And then we signed it, then we printed it, and it was as a big decal in both of the small kind of coffin-like cabins that we're in, in this tiny little 30-foot rowboat in, uh, in the middle of the ocean. So you're staring at it every single day because it's really easy to have audacious goals yeah. before you push off. You know, yeah. you're, you're healthy and you're strong and you're fit and you're eating and you're yeah. sleeping eight hours a day, and that's great. Let me tell you something. You're not thinking about that halfway across the Pacific Ocean. And you need to have that commitment yeah. to yourself and to the, your teammates to help hold you accountable. And that accountability is why we spend so much time making sure it's right, then sign it, then print it, then put it up on there. And that's, yeah. that's how I personally set my goals and then I bring it to the team. It's beautiful. In coaching, we would call that designing the alliance. Yes. And <clears throat> once you have that designed alliance then everybody has agreed to it and you're gonna stay committed but i love that you print it up and put it as a decal so that you see it when you're in your hallucinatory states from no sleep it's right too because you know this is a great like a, a, a little you know anecdote i can give you that that made this so different now we broke a, we broke a world record by nine days i mean that's smashing it even by our by our achievements that was big we did it in 30 days i mean we, we were you know we 35 days 36 days we would have been great and there's a lot of reasons why we did that won't be able to get into all of them but there was a moment that the mission statement played such a huge role in our team's success and this moment was about halfway across the pacific we're about 1100 miles in and we kind of limped across the halfway mark i remember because it was a very violent, dramatic first week and a half to two weeks where it was big waves, big wind, it was cold, waves dumping into the water. I mean, one guy, one of my teammates got hit by a wave in the chest, literally knocked him out of his shoes. So you, you, you're, and then, you, then you're soaking wet and then you're getting in these cabins to try to get a couple hours of sleep. You're shivering, but it's also humid. So you're sweating. I mean, and, and on and on it goes with the drama. But once we cross this halfway point, we had this system change and all of a sudden we've got this nothing. We, we've got a lull. We've got no wind, no waves. It's hot as can be. And we've got a slight current against us. So now it's like rowing on a, on like, instead of these big waves that were surfing down, now we're like rowing again, like up river almost like that. And for about two days, we're sitting there just miserable rowing as hard as we can. And, you know, world record speeds about, three knots. And at this point, we're trying to hold one knot. And just for those of you that aren't nautical, one knot, you could crawl on your hands and knees at one knot. That's how slow that is. So that's what we've been rowing for two days. And it's heavy. 
on the second day, in the middle of the day, one of my teammates, Angus, comes out of the cabin, kind of busts out of it right in front of me because I'm rowing at the time. This is a guy that I rowed my second Atlantic crossing, broke a world record with. He's like my brother in adventure. We've, we've trekked across Namibia together. We've done all these great things. And, uh, and, and I trust him with, with my life. And he comes out and he says, we need to anchor. This is just, too, we're wasting too much energy. It's just too hard. And he did the math inside the cabin. He said, look, if we, if we anchor right now, which is a big parachute, you, you deploy a parachute on a long line, about three football fields long, and it acts as a drag. Now, if you're in a current that's going backwards, you'll drift, the whole thing will drift. So you will drift a little bit, but it'll hold you in place a little bit. He says, if we anchor for six hours and we drift that half a knot backwards, after six hours, we'll have only lost three miles, but we'll have rested for six hours, which wow. is a lot because we're doing two hours on, two hours off of rowing 24 hours a day throughout the entire crossing. So you don't get as an individual more than two hours of rest. And so he was saying, let's take six hours of rest Let's lose three miles of progress, yep. but we'll get that rest and we won't have to just be on a treadmill. And I countered and I thought, I've been thinking about it too. We all have. We've been rowing for two yeah. days in this ridiculous nice. heat. I said, you know, however, <clears throat> if we were to row, keep, continue this, and we were only going a half knot, we will have made up three miles. Mm-hmm. And that's a six mile difference. Yeah. And I said, and in addition to that, if we can push through this system and it lets go of us, we'll have the confidence for the rest of this row, knowing that we can press through. And Angus, like I said, my brother in adventure says, I don't give an SHIT about the emotional part. He was, he was looking at the data. He didn't want to hear about confidence and stuff. We need to rest. So we bring it up to the team, right? There's only four of us here. Two of us yep. are rowing yep. and the other guys in the other cabin. And it's a split. Angus and one of my teammates wants to go ahead and rest and anchor. Me and another teammate want to continue on. And on a split decision like that, the tiebreaker goes to the captain, which is me, the skipper of, of the boat. Now, I know in this situation that no matter what decision I make, it's going to be unpopular. <laughs> if, I, if I decide that we keep rowing, I've got two guys who are going to be very upset with me. Yep. And if I stay, I'll have betrayed my own decision and one guy who, who agreed with me. So I know it's unpopular. So instead of making an emotional-based decision, which would have been easy to do in this, because it is emotional, by the way. And by the way, like teams are emotional. High performance is emotional. Like if you choose to do hard things, you're choosing to add emotion into that. So for people that like think that they can take it out of that, I disagree with that vehemently. But in this situation, I need to make a decision that makes sense for the team. So instead of making an emotional decision saying like, F this, this is what I decide. You guys are going to have to yeah. deal with it. I pointed to the, to the mission statement, which said, we want to go as hard as we can, as fast as we can, for as long as we can. Yeah. And in this situation that we're in, rowing, continuing to row, directly, ben- or directly supported the mission statement, whereas anchoring would not have. Yeah. If, the, if the weather had pushed us back where we couldn't make forward progress, then Angus's decision to anchor would have been the appropriate one because that would have kept us in one place instead of us going backwards. So it was literally a difference between a half a knot, but that was the right decision. So instead of saying, this is what I want, I said, this is what supports the mission statement, a mission statement that we all agreed to, that we all signed, and it's right up there. Now, did it mean that people were happy with it, but they could understand that, and that was a data-driven decision made by a captain who at the time could have made an emotional driven decision. And so that's what we did. Now we got lucky and we pushed it for the next six hours. And later on that night, it let go of us and we were able to get in that. And then of course I look like a hero, but that wasn't, (laughs) I did not know that was going to happen. You know, it could have just been as bad and I would have had to stick to that decision. So that's just a a kind of a long winded example of why the mission statement is so important. Why we got to take time to do these types of things. For sure, for sure. It sounds like you are very conscious of that foundation. The foundation underneath us in the heat of battle has to be very sturdy and secure because the shit's going to hit the 
Japan, no matter where you are, no matter what's going down. And, and I think too, you know, most of the listeners that we have here are traders. And something that I've repeatedly said to them is you have to have somebody who's got your back in this because, you know, partners might be like, oh my God, what are you doing financially? This is crazy. You know, you're going to be, and you're going to be doubting yourself. So like how I've always said, you've got to have somebody who can listen to the highs and lows neutrally. So you don't, you know, have that meltdown, but the concept of a mission statement that wouldn't that be amazing, Lucas, like if traders, when they came into it, created their own mission statement with a buddy or with their coach or whomever. Yeah, you know, that's something uh, I've worked with my, with my clients is getting very specific about what you what you want your goals to be like monetarily, but also uh, emotionally and psychologically. Like, do you want to like trade your best? Because you can trade, you can make money, but it can be very, very stressful if you're going through big swings. Um, another thing yeah. that, that that reminded me of your, your story, Jason, is um, like when we go into the day as a trader, I want to have a set plan uh, before before I'm, I know I'm going to be emotionally involved with my trades. And it's, uh, it's the same thing, right? Like, it, and I wonder also, you know, the, the new year's coming up and uh, resolutions are going to be made. Um, I'm wondering if, if you make uh, any new year's resolutions or throughout your life um, when you're creating like, a, a, do you have like a personal mission statement? Um, you don't necessarily need to share it, but, it, or like when you're setting goals for yourself, do you write those out and set them where you can see it? Um, I'm just wondering like what, what you do. Yeah. Great points. Lucas, really great points. And I do see so many similarities between your world and mine, because just to point out something that you both said is that <clears throat> day trading is not my world, but is daunting just to think about. And rowing across oceans is also hard and you will doubt yourself and that you do need to have, you know, and you have uninformed people, family members, friends, <laughs> colleagues that are saying to you, this is crazy, or you shouldn't be doing this is unwise, this is irresponsible. You need to have you need to have data, you need to have left brain mission statements and and steps in order to be able to provide not that you owe them anything, but you owe yourself that you owe your team that and so you have yeah. to have that. In terms of goals for myself, uh, you know, New Year's resolutions, I think, are great. You know, we all, I think our society swings on New Year's resolutions. You know, for, we, yeah. we hear a lot about them and people say, oh, they're bad for you. And then, then all of a sudden now we're back into New Year's resolutions and I, I see it swing and I think to myself, <laughs> like, it doesn't really matter. Um, they're great. You should like do them. Intentions. I don't like, I don't like resolutions. I like yeah. intentions. Like, it just feels more uplifting. Like, this is what I intend to do. But yeah, anyway, we can. Well, yeah, I think I think that's great. Intentions that it sounds less permanent, and you know, yeah. and there's yeah. for me, I do have um, sometimes they're new, sometimes they're mid year, sometimes they're just resets and and a mm -hmm. random time during the year, or maybe it has something to do with um, a particular time I'm in in my training or something like that. But my intentions, resolutions, whatever we want to call them, are actually quite small. And um, they're very, very, very small and purposeful. So for instance, <clears throat> last year's resolution for me, or intentional, which I do like that word, I'm gonna start using that, <laughs> um, was to make, make tea every night. And that was it, like I was not, I'm not a tea drinker. My wife is a tea drinker. Um, she probably has it every, maybe every other night she makes herself tea. And she always asks me, you want some? I always say no. And so for last year, though, I was like, I'm going to start making tea. And it wasn't because of the health benefits of the tea, although there are a lot of health benefits of tea. Yeah. It was because the process of making the tea was going to slow me down for the day. And I needed wow. something to slow me down. I get, out, I get out of work at five and I go relieve my wife, who is a, is a tutor, and I take over for our son, our two and a half year old son. And then we do a walk together then i we go home and we do dinner and then it's bath time and then it's book time and it's bedtime and I'm, I'm like going from work to that and then i'm still kind of running hot when she gets home and it's like i can't settle down so that was one thing we make tea i boil i don't microwave it i just boil water you know on the stove on a tea kettle pick the tea out maybe it's loose leaf maybe it's not and just make yeah. the tea and drink the tea Tea is hot. You can't drink it fast. These are all things that help slow me down. That was it for that was the only thing the year before that, ironically enough, listen to podcasts more. 
I wanted to wow. be in a situation where I wanted to like broaden my horizons about what I'm learning. I started to see that I was reading the same things, listening to the same people, talking mm -hmm. to the same people. And I felt that I was getting into kind of a dangerous situation. So I just, that was, it was, and again, some days I miss making tea. I, I just didn't do it that night. Some days I just don't listen to a podcast, you know, sure. I just didn't have sure. the time, but it's there. The intention is there. And so for this year, not sure, but I can tell you whatever it's going to be, it's going to be something really small and simple um, that, I'll, that I'll give to myself for a purpose of doing something else in my life. It's not about the tea. It's about what the tea gives me that time. It's not about just having listening to a bunch of podcasts so I can say I do. It's about what that what that gives me. And that's that's yeah. my only advice for intentions. It's beautiful, Jason. It, it feels like what I'm really hearing that I've never heard anybody say about these things that we do at New Year's is that you're looking not so much at the action you're going to take, but that result of yeah. that action. What does the action give us, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, yep. and that goes right back. To, like, we can just bring that back to this, this mission statement and then we can drop the mission statement so that people aren't getting annoyed by it. But, <laughs> but the, you, don't, you don't do a mission statement so you tell people that you did a mission. Well, we have a mission. We have a yeah. mission. You yeah. do it so that it'll, yeah. it'll create ancillary yeah. benefits that you're not even aware of when you're out in the middle of your difficult journey, whether that's an ocean or a middle of a, an intense day of trading. So everything that we do is, is, is for, for that process, you know, the process yeah. of making tea, not, not for the tea, you know, yeah. the learning that I'll get from a, from a podcast, not to say that I listened to all these podcasts, you know, and, and a mission statement. And I never knew that that was going to happen on, you know, the 1100th mile of, of our road. But it, as it turns out, thank goodness that it did. You know? Yeah. Thank, and thank God that you did paste it and put it into a sticky where it was on that I wall. know, because then we'd have been arguing what it actually said. And I exactly. <laughs> you're all, you you're all like yeah. sleep deprived. I'm sure somebody's going to start uh, rearranging what that mission statement was if you didn't have it in black coin. All right, let's see. I have, okay, let's talk about quitting is not failure. Uh, and maybe to set the stage, tell the audience those you know look everybody should read your book but for those who are hearing about your book for the first time uh you know on one hand because i know you're somebody who creates these incredible challenges for yourself i know the wins and the world records uh are probably so close to your heart but i have to tell you jason in my opinion that first race that you when and kept going with Tom to the bitter end, that to me, like you won your own world Guinness race by not giving up and staying in that with him. I, I don't know how you both did it. That to me still, it I, maybe that's wrong of me to not be impressed by the other things, but that's no, the one that impresses that me the most. So to tell, set the stage so people can have some context about what that was. Sure. So I've rode the Atlantic twice and the second time we broke the world record, but the first time it was 25th, December, 2015 goes into 2016. The race starts in December of every year for the Atlantic, um, <clears throat> was a race. Uh, like I said before, we did not break a world record. We actually took 11th place 600 miles into this 3000 mile race. Um, two of our teammates were evacuated. Um, one because he was ill, um and very sick as a result of, of of seasickness that got so severe that he couldn't keep any water or food down again that's its story in itself and um, it's obviously not for today but um and then when a boat came to evacuate him a sailboat which took two and a half days to get to us another teammate just decided i don't want to be here anymore and um so he took the opportunity to get off on the sailboat when our sick teammate nick was getting evacuated and saved as well. So that left myself and remaining teammate Tom on this boat made for four people. We're bobbing in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, literally, once we see the sailboat leave. And, you know, we're, we're 600 miles into this 3,000 mile race. We've got 2,400 miles left to go. And um, obviously, when that sailboat came, we had a decision to either leave ourselves or, or not. Um, and one guy left because he had no choice. Nick left because he was ill and he needed, he desperately needed to be hospitalized. 
Greg left because it was no longer worth it to him. He, he did not prepare himself, in my opinion, for what we went through. Um, and then myself and Tom stayed for, for uh, our own reasons. But I would like to, because I think this is such an important thing, this idea of quitting. I'd back it up and say, I'm going to leave you with me and Tom just bobbing in the ocean, deciding to not quit, but to stay. But I think to take a step back, yeah. one of my first big quits in my life was in college when I played baseball in college and I got injured. I was a pitcher, left-handed, showed some promise, played semi-pro for the San Francisco Angels, tore the tendon in my, in my elbow, needed what's called Tommy John surgery and chose not to get it. I was essentially choosing to quit baseball. This is before I'd been introduced to rowing. I'd be introduced the very next year in college and rowing college there. But at this point, having no other prospects for sports, having played baseball my entire life, this was a big deal for me. And I didn't know it at the time, but one of the ways if we want to get to the granular parts of quitting, I believe that you can go with a gut reaction, which is good. But I think that if we're looking at it a little further, I think that every human being subconsciously or consciously weighs two different things when they're deciding whether to quit or to continue on. And those two things are suffering and sacrifice. Mm. How much am I willing to suffer for this? And that suffer could be physical anguish, but it could also be mental and emotional anguish. That's something that Lucas, you had already talked about. Like, hey, do we want to trade big and be stressed out? Okay, so that's a, that's a, that's a type of suffering. Then sacrifice. What what are we giving up to be continuing to do this? So when it came to baseball, you know, I wouldn't say that at whatever I was, 25 years old at the time, that I was actually in the front of my mind measuring those two things. But as I've gotten older and learned about this and learned about myself a bit, I realize those two things are 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 you're always weighing it. Even if you're making small decisions like where to go for dinner. Am I going to stay home and cook at dinner? Or am I going to go out? You know, you're weighing this yep. stuff, you know, the suffering yep. is, well, I go home and it takes so long and I got to make it. I'm starving now. Mm-hmm. You know, sacrifices though, you know, like, but that, I don't have a lot of money. I got to spend money if I go out. And these things, we're weighing these things all the time and everyone has a threshold. And if one or both of those things, it, 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 it goes past that threshold, then you will, you should quit. You know, you, you may not, but you should. And, you know, talking as Americans, especially in my generation, which was as an old millennial, we were taught that quitting is for losers. You don't quit. You stick it out. You push through, smash your head against the wall because, you know, quitting is for losers and we're not quitters. And I think that's a very unhealthy thing to be thinking about. Sometimes it is right not to quit and to keep pursuing. But if one thing raises and the suffering, you're no longer willing to suffer that much, whether it's emotional, physical, or mental anguish then you shouldn't stop. You should pivot. And if the sacrifice is no longer, you're not willing to do it, you should stop. You should quit. You should pivot. But there are times that you have to know yourself well enough to know whether you've hit those thresholds or not. And I think that's where the, he- the difference between a healthy quit and an unhealthy quit comes from, is not knowing ourselves well enough to know where those thresholds are. And because we don't take the time to know ourselves, we default to say, keep going. That's right. I'm going through. Yep. And I think that that creates harsh opportunity costs because had I said, I'm going to gone with my dad's recommendation to get the surgery. You go, baseball has been your dream. You've always wanted to play baseball. You want to go play pro. This is what you need to do. If I'd have listened to that, I should have just gone, but I just, I was not willing to sacrifice any more time. You know, the surgery is going to put me back six months, rehab another six months. I didn't want to give up that time being in a brace like this. And even though I didn't think about it in this way, it, 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 it passed, it surpassed the threshold I was willing to sacrifice for this dream. Had I not done that, I would never have been introduced to rowing and found out what true love was for me, which was the sport of rowing. I thought I loved baseball, but I didn't. I loved my dad. My dad loved baseball. And this is something we all, uh, you know, a lot of us, we respect and love parents and mentors and siblings and friends and we we just go ahead and transcend that love to what they have brought us or introduced us to that is not that is not love when i got into rowing i realized what love was and i realized that this is this is love and 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 that is how i got into my journey now let's go back to the atlantic real quick tom and i are making our decisions we both have different reasons for wanting to stay on, on this boat um 
for me, it was things like doing something that no one else had done before, personal mm -hmm. glory. These types of things mattered to me, even out there 600 miles off the coast of Africa. Th these things do inspire me. But if you were to know Tom, you would know that, that those things don't inspire him. He is not that. He is, an, he is an immigrant from Azerbaijan, from Soviet era Russia. He came here to the United States in uh, 2002 with his mom and his younger brother. They built themselves a life that they were not able to have in Azerbaijan as a result of the government there and their, and their standing. And he wanted to represent the country, the United States, that gave him that opportunity, him and his family. That was his why. Yeah. Mine was what I just said were my whys. They can be different and still work together. Those are the reasons why we stayed, you know, and that was, that was okay. Now, as we pursued on for the next 20, 400 miles, our whys changed. Without getting into it, it became about each other. I stayed on that boat because I wanted personal glory, because I wanted to do something no one else had done before. Tom stayed on that boat because he wanted to represent the country and his family that had come over here. Then we go through a hellish next week where we're getting hit by a storm, and we both at that point are just mere shell, shells of ourselves. And then the why became about ourselves, each other, not letting the other person down, living up to the expectations of that person. And, and, that, and that's okay, by the way. Wise change, thres thresholds for suffering and sacrifice change. You just need yes. to know those things very, very well. And then you'll be doing well with quitting. I'll leave it at that. And let's talk a little bit about that moment. So you both are... I mean, I don't know, how long was it up until that breakfast question mm. after the evacuation of your two teammates? I think evacuation happened on day seven. And I think um, we spent three days rowing, just the two of us. Remember, it's, you're rowing two hours on, then you're resting for two hours. And on a four-man team, you would have two people rowing at a time, so you've got someone to talk to. For Tom and I, it's just you rowing by yourself for two hours, then you switch, and you're in this small cabin by yourself for two hours while your partner's rowing, and you switch. So this was us. So three days of that, in addition to getting battered by Hurricane Alex. Um, so that, that was, that's, that's where we were. And then, Kim, to answer your question, it's kind of on the end of that three days. So I think this is day 10, 11, right around here. You know, yeah. we're just, we're beat up. And, you know, I'm finishing a shift. It's, it's I think it's like, I've got the 6 to 8 a.m. shift and I just, I want to quit. He wants to quit. And um, just kind of, you know, as a, as a result, he's, you know, he's we're about to switch and he decides he's, you know, he's going to make breakfast for us, you know, and he's going to, make some extra breakfast and and um, these are freeze-dried meals that's so just adding hot water jet boil hot water um and so just kind of without hope or agenda he makes breakfast for both of us and i just when we should be switching i instead just stop rowing and i kind of turn around in my seat and we just sit there and we have this breakfast together we didn't, again we, we did not plan this like it wasn't like Let's have breakfast to kind of realign ourselves or re-answer the question why, like, because that's not, not really how it goes. But we just sat there for 30 minutes because we hadn't also seen each other in three days. I mean, every two hours, right. we'd see each other for a couple of minutes. I mean, imagine the last time you spent three days essentially alone and I mean, probably in never, the middle, yeah, in the middle, middle of the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> so as you can imagine, we were desperate to talk to one another and just feel some connection. And so we had our, we had our breakfast together. and and just shared kind of our, our stories of what happened to us the last three days and what we were thinking about. And yeah. it was just such a, it was such a, an emotional shift and that took place in our boat. And it was almost like palpable at the end of that 30 minute breakfast, we went back to the two hours on two hours off, but there was just this, I, the shift that I, I wouldn't have described it then I would describe it now as like our whys were shifting. You know, the reason why we were deciding to continue on, were changing and our thresholds were changing as well. And that why for me was becoming less about myself and personal glory and more about Tom. I look at Tom and he's, he's about as tall as me, six, three, six, four, but he's skinny, has trouble putting away. And I, I just see him coming out of this cabin. It's just, he's just so gaunt, you know, and he's, and his beard's big and his, 
it's like, I really looked at him the way I was looking at him when I had breakfast, you know, and I'm just thinking to myself, look what he's done for me. You know, look what he's doing for me. And he obviously had similar feelings for me, you know, looking at me and all of a sudden you just, it's, it's this subtle glacial like shift of wise. And all of a sudden our wives were not only changing, but they were aligning. We were, we were, we were rowing for each other. And all of a sudden this threshold was changing. Was I at the, at the end of that shift before he, he made breakfast, if the, there was a boat next day, I would have hopped on it. I would have quit. I would have said, I've surpassed both my suffering and my sacrificing threshold. Get me the F out of here. And again, I guarantee Tom would have not needed any convincing either. But now all of a sudden we have this new level where we were willing to sacrifice more. We were willing to suffer more and longer. And then all of a sudden for the next, I can't even believe I'm saying 41 days, we had breakfast every, every morning at 8 a.m., because it was like a reminder for us. Well, we didn't sit, think about it that way again, because all this processing happened after we got off the boat. Sure. Like every morning at 8 a.m., it was like I was reminded by looking at my good friend in the face and, and all he had done for me the last 24 hours, him doing the same thing. No, no, no. This is why I'm doing this right now. Not, not, that really is the reason why we never quit after that, you know, because all of a sudden it was worth it. So, yeah. For sure. And, and having, I think that 8 a.m. breakfast there for the rest of that journey, it did force you to be, it's, it's almost like charging your phone. You know, your phone is going to run out of battery. We run out of battery emotionally, psychologically, physically. And it's like you guys got plugged in every morning recharged just by connecting to something bigger than yourself that other human being and what they're going through it's pretty profound we are we are we are finite human beings and that goes right back to this idea of of believing life is short we have a finite amount of time on this earth yes we have a finite amount of energy and love to give and everything that we have everything every emotion love uh empathy um, calories, whatever you want to call it, whatever, whatever unit you want to measure, I can promise you this, you only have so much of it. And so, you know, thinking about where to place it is really, really important. And of course that goes back, back to this idea of quitting, not quitting is, is where do we want to place our time, our energy, our love, our talent, our skills, everything. Where do we want to place those things? Yeah. And if we're placing it in places that we come home every day and we bitch about our job or, or about our coworkers or our boss, you need to seriously think about what you're doing. I mean, I'm blessed exactly. to, to be able to say that I, I love everything I do. I teach leadership development and I get to go on adventures to test the philosophy of leadership and building teams. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And not everybody's like that. You know, I'm, I'm lucky yeah. that I can easily answer that question every single day. But, yeah. you know, we, we, can't, we can't just be continuing to do things because we're afraid to change the status quo. And that's a dangerous game to play. Absolutely. Absolutely. The the other thing that really spoke to me was you talk about how leaders often, and and when I say leaders, let me just clarify, if if you're making choices for your own life, you're a leader, people. (laughs) So, you know, the concept of emotions first leadership, that concept I really resonated with and how a lot of you know, let's, let's call it what it is. Men have been indoctrinated with this concept that, you know, emotions are not manly, uh, that somehow uh, if they pay attention to them or they, you know, surrender to them, they're weak. But the concept of how you described that leadership is completely driven by emotions. Uh, I just really love the way you described it. So please talk about that if you would a little bit. Yeah, no, it's so true. I think the more that I've accomplished over the years, the less I feel the need to be macho, you know, it's like, you know, we're in high school and in college and, and I, I definitely grew up in the quintessential kind of American town where, you know, wearing letterman jackets in high school and playing football and baseball yeah. and, you know, and they continued in college all that kind of stuff. But, you know, as I've, as I've achieved more, I am able to really lean into the emotion side and not be embarrassed because I've, my, my achievements can speak for themselves. And when people ask how you've done it, I can say that it is emotionally led, um, is emotional leadership. And that, that is it, is that this idea that I am absolutely petrified to let my teammates down. And that 
surpasses any you know worry I have of anything else. So before that first breakfast with Tom, we were scared of everything that you would think we would be scared of. We were scared of drowning or dying or being you know thrown off the boat. We were scared of wildlife. We, sharks. We just, yeah, sharks. We, we just were afraid sharks. of everything. We felt we were way out over our skis. And, you know, maybe we have bitten off more than we can chew. I can tell you, though, after that, that, that first breakfast, more afraid of letting each other down. I was petrified of letting Tom down. I wanted to row as hard as I could in those two hours that he was sleeping so that when he got up and he saw what kind of mileage I put up, he'd be like, damn proud of me. And he would see that mileage. Be like, well, I got to do at least that well. I got I to gotta, I match that because Jay is counting on me because he pulled so hard. That is such a powerful tool at human beings' disposal. I don't even think you could actually, you can't, you can't quantify it, but it is so real. I've literally, I've re- I literally hung my entire life's reputation on that idea of leveraging human emotion. And another example, moving to the next year where I built a new team to do the exact same race, which only maybe 10 people in the world have ever tried, attempted rowing across the ocean a second time, and those people are usually because they failed the first time, put a new team together with new people. And, you know, we get to this point where we're, we're, we get hit by a storm late in the race. We're only about 500 miles away from the row. And now all of a sudden, we, what was a day ahead of the world record pace, we've now gotten hit by a storm so hard, we're behind record pace. And you could, you know, you, we could have, we could have complained and, and been upset we were, but once we got over that, the four of us, it, it didn't become about the world record. It, it literally became about each other. For, we, it was now a five-day race. We had five days to achieve 400 miles, which is 80-mile days, which, by the way, is, is way beyond re- world record pace to row 80 miles a day for, for five straight days at the end of a race that you've already so beat up. was. And we knew that's what we had to do. We knew that if we didn't do it, we wouldn't break the world record. We had come this far and not have done it. We knew that if we, if we did do it, that we would achieve a world record. But I can tell you in those five days, it, it, nobody talked about the world record. For five wow. straight days on a boat, it was all about what can I do for my teammates? I'm going to make extra food. What does everybody want so that you don't have to worry about making it? Jason, you've got an infected heel. I think it's getting worse. I've put some bandages like in the cabin ready for you. Just clean that out. You know, this kind of stuff. Everybody, it was all about each other. And when we did achieve the world record, when we were, when we were only 50 miles away from, from the finish line and we, we knew we were going to do it, we took a moment. We stopped rowing in those, in those, wow. and for just for 15 minutes. And, and we all, we, we took a little flask of whiskey that we had saved in case this occasion presented itself. And wow. we all took turns passing the flask around and everyone got to toast and tell what the, what the, the race meant to them. We know we're going to break the world record. It's, it's going to happen tomorrow. And the yeah. thing is, you've got four guys that share a 30-foot boat for 35 days. You'd think that the, the thoughts would be the same, but they're not. Everyone had a different way that they saw the race. But the one thing that was similar is that everybody gave all the credit to everybody else on the boat. No one said, hey, when I did this or once I did that, wow. then and I was. And that was all emotional led. It was all emotion. Yeah, we rode hard. Yeah, we pushed it. But we only pushed and rode that hard because we were petrified of letting our teammates down. That was the only thing yeah. that mattered. Yeah, yeah. It's, that, it's, a, it's the purpose, right? If purpose isn't consciously pl- pl- you're not really connected to that purpose. And when it is, when other people are counting on you and you know that their purpose is tied to yours, I, I just think magic happens in ways that it otherwise couldn't. Yep, it absolutely does. And I think that's why moving forward, I do the same things. I build the team on, on, based on, on people that I, I feel that I can leverage and that they could leverage me, you know, that I respect yeah. and, and that, I, that I like. And then we build these mission statements so that we can, you know, we, we have something we can go to that is data-driven, that is non-emotional, so that we can be emotional without having to create decisions around that. We can be emotional for emotion's sake and to not making yeah. tough decisions around that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's all I'll do it. I'll, I'll go off and I'll do other things too. And I'll be honest with you. I, I know that I'll continue to break world records and we'll do things that people thought were impossible. It won't be because of me. It'll be because of us. So, yeah. Yeah. I get that. All right. Leaders are operating. Uh, okay. So we just talked about that emotional experience. Let's just talk about how 
what is it this what's the self-talk you have for yourself in the midst of let's say some of those hallucinations when you're only sleeping in two hour shifts over a month when you start to have that <coughs> inevitable bizarre experience of not living the way a person normally lives what is that self-talk that you lean in on yeah i mean the hallucinations out there are real some of them are funny some of them are not so funny some of them are scary um but um it's wild one of the things that i have to be very cognizant of is that in that state of mind and by the way that state of mind only gets worse you learn to settle into it but you have also on top of that you have brain fog you just you've been you haven't really stimulated your brain on top of sleep deprivation malnourishment dehydration you also are doing the same thing over and over for 30 straight days so you have brain fog you have trouble just recalling things the first thing that i have to say to myself is that i am not suited to make all the decisions that this boat and this team needs to make so i have to open up the decision making to the rest of my team and this, you know, this is not a, a way to placate my teammates. I need them. Yeah. I, I will not make the right decision. I have to open up a tough decision to everybody so that we've got four hallucinating adults <laughs> uh, making a decision. Hopefully, you come as far, as opposed to one. I mean, we've had funny hallucinations. I've had Angus. I told you about him earlier. My brother in adventure. I remember one time he came out of the cabin. He had just finished his sleep shift. Two hours. Comes out. It's the middle of the night. And without and we're switching we're making the switch i'm about to go in the cabinet he just says as calm as can be just didn't he wasn't just just so you know there's an old lady out there trying to run around and hit me with an oar just watch out for when you get back in there and i'm i'm awake because i've been rowing for two hours but that was like i mean he didn't even know what he just said he had obviously had a dream about that and then right. he woke up he didn't realize he was up and he was still obviously sleeping um and that's what he has so you have some things like that but then and those are funny but then you have the, you know the other ones are just having trouble doing math simple math you know you're you're you're, you're waking up from a, a you know a rough one and a half hours of sleep and, you know you need way more and, you, and then you're looking at the chart plot and you're trying to figure out if the bearing and the heading that you have is accurate or what you need to be doing and that stuff is tough math to do quickly in a stressful situation even with sleep so yeah. you know my self-talk is that you got to give up that individual ego you know if you're willing to do these things that are completely interdependent which rowing certainly is and certainly rowing an ocean is even more so you have to be okay with not being a superstar there is no superstar when you cross the finish line no one's going to say it was jason that really did it you know there's no lebron james in rowing and that's yeah. and, and that's hard that that can be difficult and it cer certainly was hard yeah. for me coming out of a sport that was very individual like baseball pitching which is yeah. extremely individual um yes. to a to a yes. sport like rowing which was in which is interdependent and yeah. so when I'm out there and I'm hallucinating and I'm having trouble making decisions, right away it's take it to the team. In fact, most of my things, when in doubt, I take it to the team. You know, wow. you take everything to the team and, and let the team help you. And the one last thing I'll say about that, and then I'll let you go to the next one because I know we're getting close on time, is that yeah, is that we, you know, like we we have um, you know, when we are in this situation where we're having to make these tough decisions um it's easy to be questioning the other teammates and what what they're saying and and, and to be argumentative you know and then in these highly stressful situations you, you feel this angst you know and you are you're tired and you're and you're and you're upset and you miss your family and you're stressed out and you're scared and it's really easy to be able to say, well, he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. I disagree vehemently with this. Mm -hmm. And sometimes for me, it's just easy to let these questions go unanswered for a little while. And that is something we mm -hmm. feel the need as e egotistical people. I'm certainly in there to be the greatest part of the, the right decision. We want to be yeah. that big. Oh, I, I, I really helped on that. I was a key component to that. And sometimes when you're part of a high performance team, the best thing to do is just to step back and let the energy and the flow of the team go through you. And sometimes you're just like, I'm not the answer. I don't have the answer and that's okay. That's a tough thing for us, some people like myself to do. And I'm constantly learning that, but I find that to be very helpful.
That's awesome. That's awesome. We, we want to honor your time, but I do have one last question. What yeah. is next for Jason <laughs> Caldwell? What's going to be your big adventure? And do you already know what that is? I'm, I'm circling it. That's for sure. I think, um, I think I'm largely done with ocean crossings. I think as I was preparing for the Pacific, I, I remember thinking to myself that if this goes the way I, I hope it goes and we were able to achieve what we want to achieve, that there might not be a lot left for me in the oceans. I, I've done the Atlantic twice, the Pacific once, broke world records in both of them. So for the last couple of years, knowing that I was still going to do the Pacific, I really kind of set my eyes and my sights on rowing some of the greatest rivers of the world and doing mm. challenging myself in different ways, which will be more exploratory and navigational um, and being able to deal mm. with things terra firma being so close to you and having to deal with being on 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 the river but also on land so <clears throat> that's what i'm looking at the amazon has been something that's always been very very interesting to me um and uh the history of of the amazon um not to mention all the political stuff that, that goes on in that area um and some of the environmental aspects of it but also just the history of explorers before i'd love to be part of that world so yeah yeah and when you make these decisions uh i presume your wife has been on board with all of them how does that work into your choice oh boy we don't have enough time for that okay one. <laughs> that's another episode but i'll just tell you that yes she is a huge huge part of um of my decisions she's a huge part of the campaigns um you know she is she is a part of the team um, even though she's not out on those boats. And if we want to go back real quick to that suffering and sacrifice, there is a point that I won't do stuff if she doesn't feel safe about it. If she doesn't feel, I mean, she's obviously going to be nervous no matter what we do, but there is a threshold for her where she no longer feels comfortable. And I, yeah. I honor, respect, and I hope that I check in on that as much as, much as I think I do so that yeah. we're making these decisions together and we're not, needlessly exceeding our suffering or sacrifice thresholds because something that is easy to forget is that when I'm gone doing these things, she's left holding that torch, having to answer the tough questions from friends and family members that don't understand why Jason must do another thing. Why does he have to do this again? And does he really need to be doing this and all this stuff? And she's having to answer those tough questions while I'm out there and yeah. take care of our son and our household. And that is that is a a journey and a campaign in and of itself. So we are definitely aligned in those things. Absolutely, that's really why I wanted to end on that because you spoke about how that team is not just the participants, but the family and loved ones of whatever that team is. And again, if you don't, it, you know, you talk about making sure that, that, that those people are in on that mission because it's going to be that emotional piece in the dark of night, knowing these loved ones are on your side rooting for you that make or break you. Absolutely. Well said. And, you know, the, the feeling of human, uh, human emotion and that leveraging of human emotion doesn't have to just be the people on your boat. It's the it's the wives and the girlfriends and the children and the neighbors and the parents and that stuff. And you feel that when you're out there, if you've included them in the campaign and you've got this community. And so we are, we are based, we, we build that community as best we can. And I always will when there's a team as we include as many people, if you want to be part of the narrative, then there's a spot for you. <clears throat> yeah. Beautiful. Jason, we're, if people want to find you, we're going to put, of course, your information in the liner notes on YouTube and uh, iTunes, but let's have you just speak to your website now and your social media too, so people have it right first. Yeah, second. sure. Yeah, absolutely. So the best way to, you know, going to uh, www.lat35.co, we'll get our website. You can know about our leadership company as well as our racing team and just me yes. personally and some of my past adventures that we didn't get to talk about today. Um, yeah. Instagram is a great way to follow our, our stories visually at, you know, you can go lap 35 racing for the team one. Me is Jason underscore T underscore Caldwell. We'll just search Jason Caldwell probably pop up there. And, you know, and for business inquiries and anything that you want to talk about related to kind of, you know, transferring some of this, some of these adventures to business know-how, yes. follow, you know, follow me on LinkedIn is a great way to uh, or contact me. I'm happy to um, 
to respond and I, I will. So, yeah. And he, and he did. And that's how I yes. got here. The yeah, there we go. So, Jason, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for inspiring me and all of our listeners. This was your story is incredible. You're so down to earth. And uh, I'm really excited to see what's next for you. And I hope, uh, I hope you just constantly keep encouraging all of us through being connected to our emotions in a way that's really healthy. So thank you for being an example of that. My pleasure, Kim. Thank you okay. so much, Lucas. Okay. It was really fun being on that. It was a quick hour. So thank you. <laughs> okay, good. Awesome. Thank you so much. Bye. Have a great new year. This has been the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. You can find out more about her and her team online at thewallstreetcoach.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.